Blog Talk Radio. Whisper on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Michael Gordon. Thursday, July 11th, 2013. Today we're talking about anger. The show is titled The Jagged Edge. We've all experienced that uh, jagged edge. It's like a torn, uh, torn and frayed uh, piece of ourselves. We're more like a broken piece of glass or a jagged edge of metal, and that we can come up against uh, quite sharply and have that sort of serrated, ripping effect on ourselves and our emotions and our relationships. We can get snagged on it. We're going to be talking about that today and how we can work with that, recognize what's happening, and retrain ourselves out of that anger response. I just want to welcome you to the program, remind you that we're on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash The Mind Whisperer, and you can also find all of our back episodes here on blogtalkradio.com forward slash The Mind Whisperer. And also, if you search The Mind Whisperer on iTunes, you can find all the episodes there as well. So let's get right to the topic at hand today, and that is looking at anger. In the description of the program, I have a quote that's attributed to uh, the Buddha. And the saying is that anger is like holding a hot coal and expecting the other person to get burned. Another way that's expressed that I like is it's said that um, anger is like swallowing poison and expecting the other person to die. So what does that quote mean and what is the the, uh, insight of the Buddha suggesting there? It's that we get embroiled in an anger response with a sense of injustice or outrage and irrationally get caught up in the uh, illusion that the feeling itself has some some sort of restorative power or vengefulness. Now, as I always try and do, I want to relate this to something in our physiology, our biopsychology, and what's going on in the mechanisms in the body and how it relates to our emotional reactivity. So, from a developmental point of view, young children uh, have to be taught how to manage their emotions, to identify what they're feeling, and to learn appropriate boundaries and appropriate strategies for getting their needs met. And so it's, uh, you know, if anyone's a parent or has 
works with young children, you know how uh, challenging that can be because the emotions are very powerful and children are experiencing them in a very um, direct and uh, unmediated way. We are state-based creatures. That means when we're experiencing anger, we believe uh, strongly, we identify with the um, sense of uh, um, attack on ourselves or injury or frustration. But in a childlike way, you just feel the anger. You're just expressing the the uh, discomfort and the um, antagonistic feeling of, of the moment. Just that burning quality. And without highly developed skills, children will lash out and hit or yell or scream or have a tantrum and uh, not consciously or in a um, sociopathic way, but will manipulate situations to get their way until they're taught to communicate, understand what their needs are and to negotiate their way through life, through relationships and certainly how to regulate themselves. Well, unfortunately, those strategies can die hard and that means that as adults, we're still carrying the, the sense of injury or uh, not being in control as adults. And we still carry those the triggers with us. And so there is a charge that we get out of this childhood revenge fantasy, uh, this, this charge of emotion that um, is correlated with uh, a hormonal boost in the body of... Um, cortisol and uh, adrenaline and other um, neuropinephrine and other hormones that give us a surge of energy. The problem is that anger and that heightened response, that high arousal state, uh, can't sustain itself. So it can lead to, um, after that cascade of stimulation, can lead to a bottoming out. And the bottoming out can be a depressive state, it can be a shame state, etc., etc. So that's kind of what's going on physiologically and behaviorally with past triggers. If you think of the ego as being a childlike uh, behavioral set point or conditioning of our consciousness, it's highly irrational. It's it's narcissistic. It's, its purpose is to defend itself. And there really is no justification for that kind of reactive anger. Now, I'm not su suggesting that there's anger as an emotion is not useful. It's far from it. The point of bringing this topic up today was to introduce the idea that anger can be transformed. Like anything, like the last program I, I did, uh, we were talking about pain and, and how pain can is an, an important signal in the body. Well, anger is also something that's... Uh, signifying threat, danger, uh, moral outrage, um, a stimulation to action. But in the, in the psychological and spiritual sense, or from the point of view of what I call spiritual psychology for daily life, uh, this is problematic. And I want to relate one of my favorite uh, teachers. It's the uh, Buddhist nun, an American 
named Pema Chodron, who many listeners might be familiar with. And Pema brings brilliant insights from uh, the Shambhala lineage of Buddhist teachings, which is introduced by her teacher and one of what's called her root guru, and I would consider one of mine, that is Chogyam Trimpa Rinpoche, and uh, the founder of the Shambhala lineage. And I want to relate the flavor of how Pema Chodron talks about these destructive or difficult emotions. And she relates a word uh, called Shenpa. And Shenpa is a word that um, roughly translated means hooked, getting hooked, or grasping. And Pema relates it in terms of these difficult emotions that get a hold of us. All of a sudden, we found our, our, we find ourselves swept up in these um, this irascible, um, irritable quality, and it takes tremendous discipline to catch ourselves and to um, defray and downregulate that overaroused response. So. In a talk that she uh, gave, it's called Practicing Peace in Times of War, which you can find in, through Shambhala Publications. She relates that to shame, and I've talked about shame previously on the program as it relates to vulnerability and our capacity to uh, accept ourselves with our perceived sense of fault. And in this talk, she's relating... Um, an interview she did with the teacher uh, Zagar Gahontrol Rinpoche. Rinpoche means teacher. And she asked him, um, as a teacher who's been living in the West um, and knows Western people, what do you think is the most important advice you can give to a Western practitioner? And he said, the practitioners need to understand guiltlessness. So this is working with shame. And really what she's relating to is that if you trace anger back, it really comes to a, a, an out-of-balance relationship that we have to ourselves. Either something we've done wrong or we feel wronged by somebody else. But certainly when we get angry, there is a sense of regret and remorse for the anger. I mean, I found myself losing my temper the other day and feeling uh, horribly remorseful about it. Um, it can be a very overpowering emotion. It doesn't mean there's something not under, underneath it isn't valid to be expressed. But as she says in this talk, and I quote here, most of the striking out at other people for us in this culture comes from feeling bad about ourselves. It makes us so wretched and so uncomfortable that it sets off the chain reaction of trying to get away from that feeling. It's some very, very habitual thing that happens. And this is what I want you to pay attention to here. And I'm quoting again. If you got hooked and then someone was to give you four seconds or a minute and then tap you on the shoulder and ask you what it feels like, it feels really bad. It feels like, quote, bad me, unquote. And the aggression is turned against yourself. And maybe if you waited four minutes and tapped them on the shoulder, what it feels like is they are really wrong and they did this to me and it's their fault I'm in this situation. But somehow if that moment you were to pause and start breathing and let the whole thing unwind and unravel, 
and hang out in the impermanent yet ineffable space. If you were to do that, you might realize that all this blaming of other people when you went into it deeper, you would see that the seed of it was really some deep discomfort and aggression about yourself. And if you went more deeply into that, you would probably find sadness. And this is where Pema quotes this oft-quoted poem from a Buddhist practitioner named Rick Fields. And she's talking here about uh, what she calls peaceful abiding, and that is really acceptance of self, tolerance of self. And this goes back to previous talks I've given about how this aggression has its root in uh, our battle with ourselves over authenticity, that we, in, in our early lives, in our early development, can develop this disconnect between our authentic needs and maybe not feeling guided and supported in expressing our full needs and getting them met, and instead acquiescing to what will get us approval or security in relationships. And then we can carry that resentment and that's what's called false self with us. So if you really look at anger in any given moment, and I mean anger as a as a response, I don't mean as an, as anger over an issue. Obviously, if someone is being mistreated and there's a social injustice or a, um, a moral crime, uh, indignation is justified in, a, in an ethical and moral sense. But I'm talking about the raw emotion of anger and the irrational response it creates and how it doesn't facilitate clear communication in its worst face. So if we can take a moment, as she suggests, and, and to lean in to the sharp edge of that feeling, we'll find that there's some sense of hurt and sadness underneath. There's something deeper there. There's something that we... That it's an open wound within ourselves that's being poked. And so this poem from Rick Fields goes thus. Behind the hardness there is fear. And if you touch the heart of fear, you find sadness. It sort of gets more and more tender. And if you touch the sadness, you find the vast blue sky. Now, it would be easy to interpret that as a very Pollyanna kind of statement, that somehow there's this perfect way to be, and if you just let go, you'll become this perfect, enlightened person who never gets angry. That's not what this uh, quote is suggesting. Saying that if you allow the moment to relax, like a muscle that's become tense and taut, the blood flow can get back in and the muscle can relax. And And any emotion is fueled by a thought. And the thought is perhaps fueled by a perception or a stimulation within ourselves from our from our body, from our environment that escalates into a thought and then a feeling and then an emotion. And so to be able to pause with that and not bear down and and amplify that or justify or rationalize that uh, response, but just to breathe in and 
let it open, then you can discover that there's softness underneath and sadness. There's a tenderness there. There's a feeling of hurt. And if you go deeper, underneath the hurt, the vast blue sky. And the blue sky is not, I'm a perfect person, I don't feel hurt. The blue sky is what she's calling impermanence and the ineffable space. And what does she mean by that? She means that it's it's the limitlessness of our capacity to show ourselves loving kindness. That this sense of being trapped within the emotion is just an illusion. It's a moment. It's a feeling. And it will pass. <clears throat> and the sense of creating the space for that is like vast blue sky. There's an openness there, a quality of openness. And really what we're talking about here is what's called metta, which is a Sanskrit word or a Pali word, I believe, um, that translates as loving kindness. Unconditional friendliness is another way to describe it, or uh, unconditional love. And that's what the vast blue sky is. It's the um, openness and, and expansiveness and the spaciousness of the capacity of our mind to just allow for what is and not create meaning and structure it and densify it. That's easier said than done. And it's very difficult to do in the moment. The other aspect of anger is that um, from identifying the hurt underneath or to to catch anger and to connect with the hurt allows us to identify what the need is that we that uh, wants to be met so you know people will counter this argument and say well let's just say there's a human rights uh, issue or there's uh, <clears throat> uh, so-called fracking you know and and the uh, drilling for the deep shale oil underground that's it's very controversial and environmentally destructive or any number of things that you could look at in our world and say they're destructive and violent and um, hurtful. So why shouldn't I be outraged that this is happening? Absolutely. But again, if you reframe the anger and the moral indignation as hurt, then you connect with the tenderness and the and the sadness of the situation. And then you can engage the so-called enemy of your gaze or the opponent in your struggle from connecting with your own hurt in the situation and what is uh, injurious and have compassion. And include that which will include them. But the Dalai Lama says you even engage your worst enemy in the sense that they want they are looking to be happy. Every being is seeking happiness. And so then a dialogue can open. Then you can understand that as I've been on uh picket lines and blockades, you know, for environmental issues and this false dichotomy between jobs and the environment, and you'll see blue collar uh, forestry workers, loggers, pitted against, you know, so-called environmentalists. And the best 
activists are able to mediate that conversation, to find common ground. I don't see it as an either-or situation, but that requires empathy. It requires uh, building relationships and dialogue and opening the door. If you stay in anger, it maintains an antagonistic relationship. So it all comes back to the self. It comes back to relating to ourself, creating the space and the openness to let the anger give way to tenderness. And it's that ability to see that, again, within ourselves, that's a false dichotomy. That vulnerability or tenderness or openness is pitted against action and self-defense and um, advocating for ourselves and standing up for ourselves, when in fact there is no dichotomy. That opening to yourself and being vulnerable and then being understanding of the other person is actually more fluid and more gives us more capacity for nonviolent communication and for a solution. It facilitates dialogue. It facilitates solutions. But of course, that requires us to recognize that the anger gives us a great jolt of energy. So when you find yourself in this moment where there's you're, the heat of anger is overtaking you, observe it. Look at it as a phenomenon that's happening as opposed to you that it's an experience that's happening that you're part of and remark at how extraordinary that is that you can get so angry so that you can have some perspective on it and reframe it and have control of yourself and to again to not go into a shame cycle and to feel guilt about it but to have a peacefulness towards yourself and recognize that uh, you're a work in progress as well. That it begins with you. I think that's a good point to pause for today. And I encourage you to go look at Pema Trojan's uh, writings. And certainly uh, a lot of what I'm describing today is informed by uh, my lifelong practice in the art of Aikido, which is a non-aggressive form of um, self-control and what's called self-defense, but I don't like to think of anything as being defense because that requires something to be defended. It really is, again, a non-aggression towards yourself and therefore you have ultimate control of other situations. And of course, there's some skill involved, but it starts with uh, reworking the aggression within ourselves. Well, that's the show for today. These topics are so vast. We could spend hours and hours on them. And uh, I do hope to be entering, well, I plan to be entering into some dialogue with teachers and other thinkers and uh, thought leaders on these topics and uh, exciting prospect of starting the Mind Whisperer TV broadcast and podcast in the near future. In the meantime, if you have any suggestions, you can always drop us a line on the Facebook page. Uh, there's also now a Donate tab. 
and I really urge you to, if you're enjoying these podcasts, because they are free and available for free on iTunes, and you can go to any one of the past episodes, um, that you find it uh, in your heart to throw a little donation our way to help keep the show going. And uh, it does take effort and organization to uh, bring you this program twice a week. And no donation is too small. There's a PayPal link. If you look on the Facebook uh, page, The Mind Whisperer, and appreciate any support you might show us to keep the show going. Until next time on The Mind Whisperer, my name is Michael Gordon. I hope you have a great day and be well. I'm set free, am I set free? Love set you free, but only if you see.